Well, good morning, Redeemer. So great to be with you today. Uh, Pastor Matt says he doesn't really like American football. He likes the world's football. I like American football. So that's one way we complement each other. We, we love sharing lots of things together, but especially we love sharing, preaching God's word to you. We're working our way through the story of the church in the book of Acts, and we come to a now another important space where the gospel is breaking out. This is this new church in Antioch that is growing miraculously, and through them as they live on mission together with Jesus, the gospel is breaking out to the whole Mediterranean world, to Jews and to Gentiles. Let's hear the story here as it goes forward. Acts 13, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord coming to you. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you as the people of your Son, the people of Jesus, born again to a living hope in Him, coming alive in our worship of Him, and called to share in His mission to live and proclaim the good news of His kingdom. Help us, Father, to see afresh this day the joy and the privilege as well as the challenge of living on mission together with Jesus, being people of His kingdom mission together with others in His body that more and more we might see the people of our own families in our neighborhoods, the places of work and play for us, the people of this city in this region, this nation, and even the nations of the whole world, Lord, who are so divided 
and enslaved by sin to be freed and brought together under Christ's most gracious rule who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, it's great to be back with you this Sunday. Fran and I left last Sunday evening to go to Birmingham, Alabama, and we got there to see on Monday afternoon our fourth granddaughter be born, little Mary Jane Lindsay. She's doing really well. She had some issues with jaundice, but she's been released from the hospital. Her mom, our youngest daughter, my baby girl, Bailey, has had her second baby girl, and uh, it's amazing. Um, Fran and I originally were going to come back together at the end of last week, and uh, like on Thursday, and bring Kit, the big sister, uh, who's one and a half, back to San Antonio with us. And we just sat on Wednesday night and said, wait a minute, why are we doing this? Kit is a baby herself, right? She needs her mom. You stay here, friend. I'm really happy about you staying here. Uh, you know, gritted my teeth. Uh, but I'm so glad she's there. She's serving mom. This new mom of two has her mom with her to help her. And uh, now I'm here, and I'm back here, and it's great to be with you, and I have the privilege to preach the gospel to you. Um, I've, been, I've been preaching the gospel for about 40 years, and uh, one of my very first sermons I did, I did as a college student to the campus ministry I was involved in, crew at Yale University, and I preached the sermon. It was horrible. It was terrible. It was ragged. It was ill-prepared. But I still do believe so strongly in the main point of the sermon, and that was this that there's one thing that we can do better now than we will be able to do when Jesus comes back to make all things new, to merge new heavens together with new earth. We won't be able to worship better now because our worship will be perfect then. We won't be able to love God or each other as well now as we will then. We'll be perfected in all love. We won't be able to be free from pain and suffering now as we will be then. But we can now. We can live on mission together with Jesus. We can do that better now than we will do then because the mission of Christ will be fulfilled then. It's our privilege as we really live the Christian life, you know, as we, as we, as we live this life that is authentic and new in Jesus, as we have this wonderful experience of forgiveness of sins and life in his name, as we put off all, all of the kind of false identities we so try to burden ourselves with, with what we can achieve and attain and status and power, and put on who we are in Jesus as children of the living God, born again to be new people together with him. As we do these things, that we really live this out, as we learn to live his values, which can seem right, you know, upside down, but are actually right side up, we're living on mission together with Jesus. And not just individually as Christians do we have that privilege. We have the privilege to live as the church on mission, to be people born again to a living hope, forgiven, welcomed, loved by God in Christ, who get to share that welcome and love and the message of forgiveness and new life in Jesus' name with the whole world. That's being the real church. I love the little quote by Bono there that's for you. A great article by David Brooks in The Atlantic. That's there in the front of your bulletin. He's interviewing Bono, and he says, you know, Bono's whole idea is that, that, that being a Christian 
is uh, there's no way to be cool and be a Christian. Not at all. That you have to give yourself over. There's an abandon to this. There's a kind of nakedness to this, a kind of rawness to being a Christian, a kind of radical authenticity that is way beyond being cool or uncool. Um, that is the real thing that Bono says is sort of like rock and roll. I don't know about that, but what I do know is that real Christian living is this way of life giving over to the mission of Jesus. Well, what's it look like? That's our question for today. When we are doing this, when we are a congregation of people living on mission together with Jesus, the church in Antioch can show us this in these early days of the gospel breaking out. There's four keys that we see there in the church in Antioch to living as a people on mission together with Jesus. And the first is, is that when we're living on mission as the church of Christ, we are a generous people. Generosity and mission go together because of the gospel of Christ. Let's, let's think about the church in Antioch. You've heard of them, right? In the past, we've seen their church planter Barnabas enter the story early in the chapters of Acts, and we first meet him being radically generous, selling a piece of property, taking all of the proceeds and laying them at the apostles' feet. Use this for the life and the mission of the church. Take my proceeds. Take it. Use it. Radical generosity. Barnabas goes and helps the church get planted as, as the gospel is breaking out in the region of Antioch, and, and, uh, and, and they're worshiping there. And, and a prophet speaks in a worship service and says, there's going to be a global famine. And this new church is moved with the generous spirit of Christ to say, let's take up a special offering and give it back to the mother church in Jerusalem. They have more needs persecutions are greater there. More people pass through there from all over the world who may be open to the gospel coming to Jewish feasts and festivals. Let's give our best to them. But now generosity goes to a whole new level. Because here, moved by the Holy Spirit, as they are worshiping and praying and fasting, the Spirit says to them, I want you to give the very best that you have. I want you to give your church planter Barnabas and this new amazing co-pastor, this teacher, this wonderful theologian and evangelist, Saul, I want you to give them both away so that the gospel can begin to go to the whole world. <laughs> How do you, yeah, no is what we might want to say, right? There's, twice that's happened in the last two weeks. If you were here, you know, check out if you weren't, check out the, the last time's uh, uh, recording. But, you know, yes, yes, it really is true. They have this kind of generosity, right? Amazing. Now, now, how do we get this? How do you become this kind of generous people? It is as it was for them. When you were worshiping, when you were praying, fasting, what's the beauty of fasting combined with prayer? That you're taking both hands off the ordinary way of life and you're putting them both on the throne of grace and begging God to fill you with the goodness of, and blessings of the gospel of Jesus. And as they're worshiping and praying and fasting, they're overwhelmed by God's generosity to them in Jesus. The whole story of the Bible from end to end is filled with God's generosity in making the world, in being kind to a whole world of people when humanity turned away from Him, offering a promise of redemption, continuing to protect and bless 
a people, though they were often wayward throughout the ages, and now sending a true Israelite, the, the true follower, his one and only son actually becoming all that the Israel of God was meant to be for the sake of the whole world, the king, not just of Israel, but for the whole world. God himself steps into the story and gives himself away, even dying so that we could live. What amazing generosity. Where does God, as we're here worshiping and praying and even fasting at times as the Spirit moves us, where does the Lord want us to be radically generous in fresh ways? Where does He want you to take financial resources you have and just give them like Barnabas or like the church in Antioch away for the kingdom? Where does He want you to take your time, your relational capacities to just go be present with people that you know are hurting and are lonely and are desperate and just say, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm just stepping into this space, Jesus, on your behalf. Do with me what you will here. Where does he want you to take, as it were, your loaves and fishes that you have? Like the little boy in the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and just say, Jesus, here it is. It's just a little bit. But would you take it? And would you multiply it for your kingdom? I, I think about in my own little town, Lakeland, Florida, where I grew up, there was a beautiful Bible-believing church in the Presbyterian Church in America, present out in the suburbs of my little town of Lakeland for many years, faithfully preaching the gospel, living the gospel in community, teaching God's word, the whole counsel of God in beautiful ways. But this church really had a very strong inward ministry and not a lot of outreach. And there were friends of mine who'd grown up in this church who about 25 years ago just began to plead with the elders of the church, can we go downtown back into the heart of the city where there's all kinds of renewal happening and plant a church there? And, and the leaders and the pastors and the elders originally said, no, we just need to stay all together here and serve together and grow together. And they kept coming back gently with graciousness and brought this before the elders. And, and finally, the pastors and the elders began to pray over it themselves and their hearts were turned and they just took this little step to give these people away, to go plant this church. Covenant Church plants Trinity Church in downtown Lakeland. 20 plus years later, 10 new churches have come out of Trinity Presbyterian Church. All throughout my little county of Polk County, Florida. And it all started with just this generosity that was spurred and prodded forth from this little church out in the suburbs. Where does God just want to take one little step of ours in being generous to begin to reshape the whole picture of San Antonio for the sake of the gospel? Living on mission is living generously. Living on mission is living, secondly, creatively. Uh, you can miss it in this passage, but there's so much creativity on display here. We so take it for granted that missionaries would go out in teams of two or three, right? And they'd go out to the field and they'd do work and then they'd come back and report in. 
Nobody knew about that model there. It was sort of pictured a little bit by Jesus sending the disciples out at various times. But the Spirit moves the church. Set apart your very best resources, Barnabas and Saul. And they take with them John Mark. And they begin to go and just creatively sow the gospel in all these places across the Mediterranean world. And then come back home for a season to Antioch and then go back again and visit and strengthen the churches, and see how they're doing. It's beautifully creative. Think about Saul. Very, very, very Jewish name. That's steeped in Jewish tradition. Tribe of Benjamin, the first king of Israel, right? That's, that's what Saul is, it, it hearkens to. But Saul had, had really no connectivity in a Greek and Latin world, world. And so Saul is moved to change his name to Paul, to get a Latin name so that the gospel can be connected better. And isn't it interesting that the first convert in this story is another Paul, Sergius Paulus, as Paul makes this kind of connection with him. How do you get creative like this? How do you get creative like the early church did? You can just see it right here latent in this text, right? The creativity of seeing all different kinds of people brought into this church, right? A person from the African continent, Simeon, who's from this area of Niger, um, you know, this, this other friend of Herod, the Tetrarchs across life, somebody who's been involved in, in the Roman and Greek governmental systems wedged together with the Jewish governmental systems. All these different kinds of people have been brought into this church and are flourishing there and are teaching the gospel there. It's just why is the church first called Christians in Antioch, Acts tells us earlier? Because there's nothing else you could call them. You couldn't define them other way, any other way. These people are so diverse and different. All that bound them together was Jesus himself. So they take the name Christ ones. How do you live this creatively? How do you do it? By coming back to this creative gospel. That God not only makes the worlds with beautiful creativity, but saves the worlds with beautiful creativity. By stepping into the story himself, by becoming like us in every way, becoming fully human while remaining fully God in his son, Jesus, and literally living for us and dying for us and rising again for us. And then the son ascends back to the heavens and together with the father sends out the spirit to keep carrying forward this mission through us, even us. That is radical creativity. As they say, you can't make this stuff up. Amazing. Beautiful. As you center on this gospel, even today as you're hearing this, where is the Spirit spurring creativity in you? You're like, Dan did a great job, man telling us what's coming, our kickoff event, you know, in a couple of weeks, our, our retreat in a month. We're going to reopen that Wednesday morning Bible study, but we're looking at other lanes of ministry, other times in the week we can have Bible studies, but also just other kinds of spaces for men to be together in service, fellowship, even in play, so that we can share the life of Christ together. I just urge you, just jot it down right there. Your assignment is go into this week and be praying together with your families on your own, even as your community groups may begin to meet together. 
How can we be creative in fresh ways for the gospel as a church? Where does God want us to just be open to new paths? We've been given this building across the street, this property. You'll be hearing a lot more about that. May God give us great creativity in how we use this for the sake of the city. The church on mission is generous, it's creative. Thirdly, confrontational. I don't even like saying that. I don't like confrontation so much. But it's in the text. Like, I got to submit to the text, right? It's confrontational. What do we find here? Paul, going out in this mission, right, meets this guy, Bar Jesus, son of Jesus. Ironically, his name means, but he's anything but, right? He's this magician. He's a false prophet of Jewish background. And he is with his magic or his teaching trying to block Sergius Paulus from coming to a true faith in Jesus, trying to block the way of the Roman proconsul of the region from finding life and being rooted and grounded in that life in Jesus. You know, when churches confront today, typically we do it all wrong. When Christians confront today, we typically do it all wrong. We we are confronting more and more just each other inside the body, and we're confronting each other about secondary or tertiary or nth-level kind of issues. Whereas this confrontation is Paul, on behalf of the church, in Jesus' name, confronting someone who's standing in the way of someone coming to faith in Jesus. Think about who Jesus confronts in the gospel. You ever think about that? He doesn't really confront struggling Christians. He doesn't really confront people wrestling over different theological perspectives or emphases. He confronts people who are trying to obscure others from coming to the gospel. He confronts Pharisees and scribes who are presenting, as it were, a false gospel of a self-righteousness that is their own, that doesn't come from God or is not by faith, but it is of self and of a self-righteous kind of mindset. That's who he confronts over and over again. He confronts disciples when they're unwilling to walk the way of the cross and follow him, when they're obscuring the pathways of the gospel for the whole world around we need to learn to do confrontation Jesus' way. We need to let the gospel confront us that we have no righteousness in ourselves, that we are just simply people blessed to have been awakened by the Spirit to embrace Jesus. We need to be confronted to not put up false barriers for others of our own appearances or pretensions at self-righteousness or self-empowerment. And as the gospel confronts us, we will learn to gently and lovingly but boldly confront where it is needed. Isn't it interesting here that even as Paul, empowered by the Spirit as an apostle, you know, who can do miracles in Jesus' name, stuff that we know not of, right? Isn't it interesting that even here, Paul is saying to him, this blindness, Elemas, is going to come upon you for a time. 
just for a season. Because the hope, right, is that he will begin to truly see. Just like Paul himself did when he was blinded for a season. Confronted by the risen Christ. When we confront, our hope needs to be, even those that we are confronting, that they too will turn and believe and find sight and blessing in Jesus. Church on Mission is generous, it's creative, it's confrontational where it needs to be, and lastly, it's humble. It's humble. Think about the humility of the church in Enoch, just sending out their best. Think about the humility of Barnabas who begins on this mission. He's been Paul's trainer and teacher and discipler and mentor. And all of a sudden they hit the mission field and Barnabas is giving up first place to Paul and the miracles are coming through Paul and the teaching and the preaching is coming through Paul and the people are getting converted as Jesus speaks and moves through Paul. And Barnabas is just there to kind of attend and encourage and assist. And this all happens to start with on his home island of Cyprus. Wow, what humility. And Paul, Paul, as we've said, gives up his Jewishness, which he prized, to become the apostle to the Gentiles, to take a name that I know all too painfully well, which means little one. <laughs> Small. Paul Hahn means little rooster <laughs> in the German. Uh, bantam rooster, okay? Thank you, parents, for that lovely name. Um, but we really all take the name of Paul in a different way, don't we? We're all called to grow down into that as Paul does throughout his whole journey of humbling himself, that Jesus would be great. The gospel can't flow to the world unless all of these dynamics are in place in us. And we get these dynamics again by coming back to the gospel ourselves. And we especially need it for humility. How does the gospel humble us because we're reminded that we have nothing in ourselves and everything from God, but we're also humbled as we experience the great humility of God here. We're going to eat and drink in just a few moments. The utter humility of God that God himself would take on human flesh to die for us so that we could live, to die for us when we were people who utterly were committed as a human race to rejecting him and denying him. What humble love this is. If we want the gospel to move in San Antonio and beyond, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, it has to pass through these gates, and especially it has to pass through the gate of our humility. Remember Bono saying, you can't be cool and do this real thing. You can't be prideful and do this real thing. I love the, real, the quote in there from N.T. Wright. He said, he said, listen, if we're going to swim, let's swim. Let's not keep our feet on the bottom of the pool. Let's do the real thing. And the real thing is, yes, generosity and creativity and confrontation, but it starts with this radical 
humility before Jesus? Where does he want us to gird ourselves with a towel like he did in the upper room and just go wash feet so that his love and his grace flow to San Antonio in the world? Would you think about that? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this word. Thank you for this gift of the gospel, this wonder that you come as a generous God, as a creative God, as a confrontational God in love, as a humble God to save us, O Lord. Would you come to us now? Would you bless us now with this gospel, not just in word, but in this sacrament to encourage us to feed us so that we can become what you call us to be for our sakes and the sake of the world around us. Amen.